Last year in the Gulf of Carpentaria, around 7,000 hectares of mangroves were affected by dieback. This large-scale ecological event went unreported for nearly six months before the news broke and it shocked us all. Today we have James Cook University's Professor Damien Burrows to speak with us about the matter. Professor Burrows is the Director of the Centre for Tropical Water and Ecosystem Research, otherwise known as TropWater. Professor Burrows, how are you today? Good, thanks. Very good. Good. Well, great to have you here on the show. Um, this has been an issue that's been very very topical in the news and been a bit of concern. Uh, although we do know that um, mangrove dieback happens periodically in nature, what's different about this occurrence? Uh, this, yeah, the, the big difference is the scale of this. We, we often see small patches of mangroves dying back um, for various reasons, but the sheer scale of this is unprecedented. We've recently presented it to a, a domestic national global conference and an international conference uh, to mangrove experts around the world, and none of them could think of, of a dieback event of this size either. So this is actually a internationally significant scale of, of mangrove dieback. I understand that it is such a large scale that um, any small localised problems like a chemical spill have been ruled out. Um, it, it sounds like it's a some much larger force, like potentially climate change. Yes, yeah, it, it would have to be a climatic event, um, mm -hmm. surely because of the sheer size of it and also that it happened relatively quickly. It happened during the month of November. The satellite imagery in October was relatively clear and by December there was significant damage across a large area. So it clearly happened in November about the same time. And we're talking damage here from Kurumba on the east all the way to Roper River in the west. That's about 1,000 kilometres or more of, of frontage there that, that's affected. And to have all that, that amount of mangrove happen across all dieback across that large area at such within you know, a few weeks of each other, it could really only be a climatic event. It, it couldn't be. We can't think of the chemical contamination. There hasn't been any big ship ground, groundings or anything like that. Um, it really must be a climatic event. Mm. And the weather at, around that area um, was quite anomalous during that period last year. We had a couple of years of very low rainfall, uh, very high temperatures, anomalously high temperatures. Um, and so we, we actually think that it's probably most likely at this stage you'd have to think that the leading cause would be the, the lack of rainfall. Mm. Mangroves do live in estuarine environments, salt water environments, but they do need fresh water. Like any other plant, they need freshwater drink, and freshwater is quite limiting in the marine environment. Um, Especially after so quite a long dry, of the thirsty plant looking to top up. Yeah, and if we get down on the on the, in the field environment, in the field a bit more time in the field, we get some uh, funding to get out in the field. We'll be able to make a, a more detailed assessment. Um, but at this stage, it's surely it's a, it's a climatic effect. Yes, and perhaps another interesting thing about this situation is that. Although it looks like dieback started in October of last year, it didn't really come to light until six months later and only when uh, local residents reported it to a university. No government agency noticed that this massive event had happened. Professor Burrows, how does this, how does this happen that nobody notices this huge unprecedented event until six months later? Well, yes, it is uh, obviously not a very heavily populated part of our coastline. It's quite remote. Um, and there aren't any regular coastal monitoring procedures in place for that area. Um, and obviously a number of the locals realised the mangroves were dying back in their local area, but they didn't realise the scale. So in about, when we started getting a couple of people sending us some photographs, oh, look, we got a bit of localised dieback. 
we were only able to put that together because we had people from different towns, from Karumba and Burktown and Borolula, for example, within a few weeks of each other sending us images of dieback. And none of those people realized how big the dieback was. They just sent images to us of their local dieback. And it's only because we saw those images together that we realized that there might be something going on. And when we realized that, we thought there might be something going on, we immediately went to the satellite imagery and had a look. And that's something obviously any scientists really have access to. And that's how we realized this big event was going on. So it is an issue of, yeah, there's a lack of coastal monitoring. It is certainly very disturbing that it took six months for this to come to light and that six months after the event happened, there's still no scientists have really been on the ground. It is encouraging that um, everyone who lives locally was so active in um, trying to do something about the problem by, by contacting researchers and, and trying to unravel what might be causing this. I think that is certainly uh, one of the bright sides is that there were concerned people out there who realised there might be something odd happening and they uh, made the effort to get in contact with ourselves and, and send photographs in. And those photographs had you know, GPS locations as well, so geographic locations. So that, that was the good thing, because if, if they hadn't done that, then we'd probably still be um, in the dark about this happening. And certainly going forward in the future, this is, I think, one of the lessons we would take out of this example is that we need to establish um, some mechanisms with the local communities, the, the people who are living in those areas, um, a mechanism by which they can report um, these kind of events in the future so that we can hear about them in a much more timely manner. And what do you think the um, role for government might be in this? Do you see a, I don't know, the need to maybe ramp up monitoring or something similar? Well, I think, yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't take a lot. The answer is yes, but it wouldn't actually take a lot. This doesn't have to be a uh, an effort that takes a huge amount of um, government funding or resources. Uh, so in this case, it could be a, a mechanism by which uh, locals are out there can send photographs or report unusual sightings of dieback to a, web, a website that the government runs and monitors, for example. We have similar things for pest fish. If you see it as unusual-looking fishes, this is a, how the government monitors for exotic fishes introduced from other countries. So you can report unusual-looking fishes to that hotline and a, and a scientist will examine the photograph that you send in. And you could almost have the same thing here, that um, people could send in photos of mangrove dieback or other coastal disturbances. And then scientists would realise if there's a series of photographs coming in from an area that are showing the same sort of thing, they realise there's something going on. So I, there are, I think there are ways that the government could set up some fairly uh, programs that don't require many, many resources. And at the other end of the scale, what we would like to do over the next uh, few months or couple of years is establish those relationships in the community uh, where community members would would realise that they can send, who they can send photographs to if they do see sort of unusual happenings in their coastal zone as well. If this hadn't been reported, what might have happened? Um, or what, what is the advantage of having these events reported early? Uh, well, I think we, we can obviously intervene. The, the dieback is a, a, a process of you know, the trees get stressed and... Um, if they continue to get stressed, they'll continue to die. This, this is an ongoing process. This isn't like just an event that just happened overnight. Even out there now, there's still some very high temperatures and, and low rainfall happening. This, this event could continue to happen. And there might be a need for the government of management agencies to intervene. Um, might be some things they could do. So any timely reporting could help um, establish those plans. But also for communities or even industries such as the fishing industry, uh, recreational or commercial fishing that depend upon these mangrove communities, they need to know ahead of time if there's going to be any potential harm to their industries. So, if, for example, from if the mangrove dieback results in decreased fisheries catch, mm -hmm. 
I'm sure they'd like to know that long time in advance. All right, and I guess at this point, a lot of people listening might be wondering how likely it is that these mangroves will recover. Is it too early to to have a guess at that? Well, I think... No, I, I have a stab at it, actually. <laughs> we'll you, are, you are the uh, prefer- professor of uh, tropical water, so... <laughs> yes, Go but for it's, it. always, it's always risky without having been out there, but uh, but uh, I think, I think uh, given that these trees now, we haven't... Yeah, People say, well, mate, you can't confirm these trees are dead, and that's true, we can't actually confirm that they've died. We know they're leafless, they've lost all their leaves, and they appear to be just standing timber, but they've been standing timber now for six to eight months. Um, so... No doubt some of them will recover. The individual trees will start to re-leaf and recover, but most of the trees have been leafless for many months now, so I think the likelihood of their recovery of those individual trees is low. However, new trees will regrow. Uh, mangroves are fairly good at recolonizing themselves. They do live in an environment. You know, it's a very difficult environment to live um, on, the, on the ocean shore there, um, and they're used to sort of having, you know, not getting knocked back by storms and then having to recover. So they're actually reasonably good at recovering from damage. Um, so I think there'll be lots of new seedlings cropping up all over the place um, in the coming year or so, and we'll see that re- recruitment. But unfortunately, it will take 10 to 15 years before those trees go to any decent size. Well, that's quite a long time. It's good to hear that those mangroves are likely to recover, um, especially here in Broome. We do have a lot of mangroves along our coastline. It may not be um, quite as vulnerable as the Gulf of Carpentaria, but it is certainly something on everyone's mind when we see... Um, when we've seen the events in the Northern Territory of the um, mangroves dying back. so um, I think that's that's certainly an, an important point there, that there, there's lessons to be learned there for other coastlines, and especially remote coastlines, is that you can't be uh, relying on the government always to be able to detect uh, these sorts of events. And it's up, it is up to community members and people living in those local areas to actually provide some information uh, to their local government agencies. I think it's mm. a lesson there from both sides, I think. The other point I should probably make about the dieback is it's not uh, it's, it, the dieback is from Karumba to Rover River along that whole coastline there of the Southern Gulf of Carpentaria. But it's actually worse around Borolula to Rover River area mm-hmm. to, and the, on the Northern Territory side of the Gulf. Um, the dieback is not as bad in Queensland and across the whole area, like in the Northern Territory side of the Gulf, it's not the entire mangroves. It is although there's a large area of mangroves that have died back. It's only about uh, six to nine percent of the total mangrove area in that region. So, yeah, more than ninety percent of the mangroves are still alive across that whole region. Um, there are certain patches where most of the mangroves have died in certain areas, uh, and that obviously the areas that are most worst affected. But across that whole region, uh, yeah, there's still a, a lot of mangrove forest there as well that have survived. So it sounds like um, it's not quite a mangrove desert but it is still something to be concerned about and I guess as we um, as we start seeing these more concrete um, and obvious to us effects of climate change um, perhaps we will be seeing more and more things like that this in years to come. That's that's certainly very possible mm-hmm. and that's exactly why this is a, uh, a bit of a I guess a bit of a wake-up call or a bit of a lesson for us and how to and how to uh, deal with the management of, of these sorts of events into the future. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Professor Burrows from James Cook University, thank you so much for your time talking to Sound Environment. Thank you. Appreciate it.